0: Top of the hour is being brought to you by DuckDuckGo, Privacy Simplified, and this hour is being brought to you by Cars for Kids. Call 1 877 Cars, the number four, Kids. Ray, White Sox are on the streak, baby. Let's go.
1: Lawrence Holmes, noon to two, on Sports Radio 670 The Score, the score, the score, and 670thescore.com, the score. And, the score. The score. The score. and Odyssey oh, Station, God. Station, Station. Oh, James Fegan, White Sox reporter for The Athletic. Yes, James. On Twitter at JR Fegan. I can anticipate this question is probably way too early, but. Excellent. Too soon. <laughs> too soon.
2: Asking the questions to get the answers you need. If you knew that Abreu was available to be the runner there, would you have gone to him instead of Hendricks? Yeah, if I'd known
1: that, I didn't know that. I checked to check the rules. I'm guessing you know the rules better. Now I know. James Fegan with
0: Lawrence Holmes on, on 670 The score. The score. The score. The score. You should check out what James is doing in The Athletic. You should get yourself a subscription so you can get all of his content. He's done an amazing job, and he keeps doing an amazing job. He joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. James, in watching the White Sox over these last six games, what stands out to you on why they've been successful?
2: Well... I guess earlier in the season, their offense wasn't giving them any margin for error, and under that, um, you know, the defensive foibles or any kind of slip up in pitching um, would kind of doom them, and that led led to the eight-game losing streak. Now their offense is not really giving them much margin for error, but their defense has been relatively on point, and the pitching has been outstanding, and they're making it work. Generally, you don't want to be operating without a margin for error, but... They're they're executing at a high level to kind of work around it so far, uh, and it's not what I would think would have added up to a six-game winning streak. But they definitely needed to get back on track, so here it is.
0: Yeah, they're they're back on track, and it looks like they're getting some reinforcements. What's convinced them that that Joe Kelly and Yoan Moncada are ready to rejoin the active roster?
2: I mean, Moncada had been saying that it was basically more or less cleared up uh, as far as any discomfort when he headed out. And, you know, then he produced in, in Charlotte uh, as, as much as you could actually hope for. I think whenever the standard fair, whenever a big leaguer uh, is, you know, struggling to rehab, fit, you just say like, well, it's a rehab. It's more about giving any time. Yeah, it doesn't really matter as long as they looks good in the last game or two. Uh, it's fine. Or you have know, the contrast to Ramon Kata basically destroys AAA pitching uh, for a week plus, and which is the situation you have now. And it seems like he's ready to go. Joe Kelly really hasn't any had any setbacks. Um, the entire time, there hasn't really been like an outing where, um, you know, something happened or he had to dial back, even if the velocity kind of slowly crept back, to normal. but everything's been kind of smooth sailing for them in the rehab since you expect to be ready to go. I don't know if you you say that Joe Kelly is the eighth inning tonight or anything like that, but there, there hasn't been something to make you think that, you know, they're lagging behind at some point.
0: Aaron Bummer goes on the IL. What have the White Sox said about when he might return?
2: Uh, not much at this point. Um, I, I think we'll maybe find out more about how it goes uh, in, in the next like week or so. I would say that it, it seems more like a you know, maintenance of soreness issue. That would be like the, the minimum stay, but it kind of remains to be seen. There hasn't been some specific incident that spiked this. Um, I know that Jesse's been struggling for mechanical consistency for the entire season at this point, so you kind of point to this and think, well, maybe some rest maybe whatever this issue that's bothering him goes away over two weeks and we start to see him looking more like himself. And it kind of has a dual purpose of both feeling better but also looking better in his bullpen by the time he returns.
0: Has Matt Foster put himself in the mix to to be Tony's eighth inning guy, even though they are bringing Kelly back?
2: I don't know if eighth inning every single time, but I think he's definitely a guy that if he's available, if he's fresh and the other guys are are down – I don't think you have a big reason to hesitate at this point. He, he went through, I mean, that Boston lineup, the way it is right now, there's really only three hitters to really worry about, um, which is kind of like, they're kind of a, uh, <laughs> how it could look slightly worse vision for the White Sox this weekend. And, and he cut through all of them. I mean, be able to blow by uh, Rafael Devers with the fastball, Kind of shows you that everything that he was dealing with last season, where he had the groin issue during training, and he wasn't kind of getting the extension and ride and jump on that fastball to kind of overwhelm guys with ninety three, ninety five the way he is now and the way he did in twenty twenty. It, it kind of shows you it's all all working the way it should be. So I really think health is the big thing for him to kind of look like the guy who was very useful in twenty twenty. It seems like he has that right now.
0: James Feegan of the Athletic joining us for his weekly hit. We get a chance to talk White Sox baseball with James once a week. The White Sox have won six in a row. They will face Cleveland tonight over on the south side. We'll get to the Guardians coming up in a bit. Do you believe what you saw from Dallas Keuchel yesterday? Or was that a combination of Keuchel was a little bit better and the Red Sox lineup is not very good? I would definitely like to see it more consistently.
2: Um, I mean, the whole thing you have to buy in with him is that he can be pinpoint night in, night out. Uh, I think he definitely faced a lineup that was willing to chase that cutter off the inside part of the plate, maybe more than uh, you know the Dodgers are right now. But at the same time, you can't just tirely spit on a, a guy kind of getting through six innings the way that he did um, working side to side to play with his two favorite pitches. You haven't seen like the huge mix uh, or the slider to really come back in a, in a major way for him just yet. But if he can kind of work the sinker and cutter uh, side to side across the plate and, and get, you know, lineups that are not in a bad good way out consistently the way he did against Boston, like, obviously that's useful enough for the back end. I, I'm not, like, converted to a believer now, and I wouldn't say, like, if you're in some choice between Johnny Cueto looking good or Vince Velasquez the way he's uh, looked the last couple times out, that you would necessarily pick Heichel over the two of them. Uh, it kind of remains to be seen if, if Cueto pitches this week, and if, you know it kind of looks like that's a more stable person to go to going forward. But I don't think that they – you obviously don't cut bait after a start where he looked, you know, pretty good and seemed like he was doing what he wanted to do out there.
0: With Michael Kopeck, getting him into and through the sixth inning has been an issue. There have been these innings where he has a, a balloon amount of, of pitches that are being thrown. What's he said is been the issue and with a, a team that's as patient as Cleveland is. Does that strike you as the type of lineup that might be able to take advantage of that?
2: I mean, yes, in the sense that they've been taking advantage of everyone. I can't figure out quite how in terms of personnel, why there's so much more improved this year and, and making contact with what, what they have. For Michael, it's been often the first or second inning, which, you know, strings to mind a little bit of, of Lucas Cholito, someone who kind of gets his mechanics in sync over the course of the of the. Of the outing, and he might he might look at even more down to pitcher in the fifth and sixth that he does uh, in the first and second. So I, I feel like that's been more consistent with Michael. It's also the way they're managing his innings and his usage. Um, one stressful inning kind of tests how long they're really uh, able to or, or wanting to run him out there, since they're already you know kind of hesitant to have him throw a uh, hundred pitches or have him work deep in the games. If he's doing high stressful stuff in the 70s or 80s, they're in a position right now with how they're using him that they're just going to cut it rather than you know see if he can bounce back or give him like one more clean inning after that. The way to the starter like Dylan Cease or Lucas Duda might have that kind of you know rapport or um, you know trust from the team to to really go out there. So. I don't think it's all just Michael struggling. I think it's a little bit of if he's struggling or if he's laboring, they're really not going to give him the rope because they're trying to manage his usage anyway. I,
0: I, I look at Cleveland and I go, I, I kind of thought it would be different. I thought their pitching would be the thing that's leading them. And it's it's been their hitting for the most part, and they still are a, a 500 team. What do you think of them? When you look at them, what do you see?
2: I I don't I don't see the 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 arsenal to kind of make this last. To be honest, I mean I don't know if there's going to be bulletin board material for them, but um, it, it doesn't seem like an offense that should be able to sustain this, uh, you know, long time of running. I, I think you probably expect to see more from Mill than they've got so far, but uh, if if they're going to get consistently all season. Production from Oscar Mercado or Owen Miller, I, th- I think that'd be pretty surprising if that holds up as them being a, a top-tier offense all year long. Is what they have. It- it's still a group that you look at and you feel like if you can keep Jose Ramirez out of like uh, runners-on situations, that you're largely should be able to position to neutralize them. Now, Miles Straw and Stephen Kwan have certainly been really good at creating chances for that, and really good at working counts and getting on base and providing a lot of havoc with their speed for a defense like the White Sox that doesn't handle that particularly well. But it, it doesn't seem like an offense that should be a juggernaut that's, you know, undoing the top end of the staff. Like, like Stephen Giolito, who can really kind of, um, you know, blow their way out of most runners on situations with the amount of bats they miss.
0: When when we talk about the White Sox offense and you they're on a, a six game win streak, so you can't just ignore that. But when I look at their offense, I don't feel like it's fixed. Do they think it's fixed?
2: I don't think you can possibly think that, especially with the numbers against right-handed pitching. Uh, I think they're still below 600 OPS for the season against right-handed pitching. And that's a function of so much of that was trusted to Yosemite know, Grandal being himself, which you really saw signs of that at the end of the series in Boston. But he he't not gotten that all season long as he didn't get a lot of at-bats in spring training to really get on time. Uh, A.J. Pollock was supposed to be a guy who hit right-handed pitching really well last season. Obviously, he's been struggling enormously since coming off the IL and getting his timing back from the hamstring strength. And you haven't had Gavin Sheets come up and be the guy uh, who he was last season. And, you know, he'd be the first person to tell you that, that he has to, he's got a big role to really uh, counter the right-handed attack against this lineup. And he hasn't really able to do that yet. And obviously a huge part, working counts, getting on walks and hitting right-handers is Juan Mankata, who I don't think you thought of Juan Mankata as a guy that you pull out of this offense and nothing works because, He's kind of very yeoman-like, at least was last season, just getting on base but not providing a lot of highlights. But you at least hope that's the factor here because, you know, he does all the things that they're struggling at right now. He takes walks, he runs long counts, and he hits right-handers a lot more than he did left-handers in his career. So I I wouldn't want to put it all on him, but he certainly seems like he's everything that they need at this moment.
0: Defensively, and you wrote about this in The Athletic, and we're talking with James Feagan of The Athletic, why are the White Sox doing a better job of throwing out runners?
2: Um, mostly, I mean, all the caught stealing so far is Reese McGuire, and he certainly is a, a plus arm and should be able to do that. But it seems like that's just the focus of this past offseason. You know, Lucas Triolito kind of broke down a very specific mechanical tick that he had realized that was giving him the tell. Normally, runners are not able to run on Lucas. So he, I think he had like six stolen bases. Over the course of 2019 and 2020 combined, and then all of a sudden spiked to 15 last year. And he realized he was kind of leaning out with his upper body and giving a bit of a tell when he was going to home plate. He's eliminated that. Nobody's tried to run on this year as a result. And I think Seath and Copac are in a point where they can kind of start doing that next level thing with their now that they know what they're doing mechanically on the mound and have a bit more confidence in their process. They can start thinking a bit more about, you know, times at home plate. They can start working on fine details about like, I'm going to switch up my my timing, or I'm going to uh, work out a stretch, and or I'm going to try to change my tempo a little bit. That's not something that you can uh, you can focus on so much when you're inking every fastball glove side the way Dylan was in in 2020. But now, you know, with the comfort that he has, with the the confidence he has in what he's doing, you can, you can start doing those higher level order things.
0: How excited are you to cover baseball where you don't have to wear a jacket?
2: <laughs> um. I don't know, because that, that covers up, like, how much candy I've been eating uh, over the initial <laughs> month. So, so the pullover sweater was really clutch for that type of thing. Now it's going to be all out in the open, and I have to live my truth. What's your candy of choice? I mean, they put, like, Reese's Pieces in that little, that little basket uh, in the press box. And uh, I, I, I try to, like, um, cover up my guilt by just, like, putting a 20 in the little candy donation pile, like, once a season. And I, I think that's past due at this point of the season.
0: All right. Well, I, I think that's a good choice. Would that be your choice if you were not at the ballpark?
2: Um, I think peanut M Ms is probably still the go to. Uh, I, I may or may not have helped myself from uh, the peanut Ms dispenser while walking uh, out of security a couple times on the ground floor, but um, you know, <laughs> hopefully, this doesn't lead to like a warrant being put out for me. I hope
0: not, too. I hope that they that they say, look, this is someone who's here every day, and he needs. That sugar fix whenever he can get it, and it makes him a better reporter and better at asking questions. James, have fun at the ballpark this week. I'm glad that you won't have to wear a parka.
2: I'll, I'll, I'll miss it, obviously, for, for decor reasons, but I'll, I'll try to adjust.
0: I'll probably see you at the ballpark this week. That is James Feagan, who covers the White Sox for The Athletic. A couple follow-up notes on the Guardians – there's a three game series of starting with the Guardians tonight and then the White Sox have a four game series against the Yankees. here's some numbers on Cleveland. they are first as a team in batting average third in runs per game at 4.71, fourth in baseball in on base percentage at 323. they are sixth in slugging at 400 they are fifth in weighted runs created plus at 116. They are first in contact rate at 81%, they are second in K rate. They are first by far in swinging strike percentage, meaning they they don't have a lot of swinging strikes, 8.4%. So their bats aren't being missed a lot. Steven Kwan 316 407 461. Check out this quote from Miles Straw the outfielder for Cleveland. There's a different approach that, that Cleveland is using, and they are trying to see more pitches, to try and, and and be more have a more democratic offense. He said, quote, we're not the Yankees. We don't go out there and hit three-run bombs all the time. We have to hit our doubles, our singles. We steal bases. We'll go first to third. It's our brand of baseball, close quote. They like to annoy the other team. They want to see a lot of pitches, and when they get on base, they want to try and bother you there. Something to watch for in this series against the White Sox. that starts tonight over on the south side, and there's going to be good weather for the whole dang thing, and that's good. When we come back, I heard something in yesterday's broadcast that has been a subject more than once on this show. I thought it was great. It sparked something in my brain of something else that I heard that I thought was great. I will share both of those things with you next here on The Score.
1: Lawrence Holmes, noon to 2, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station.
0: Yesterday, while watching the White Sox game, I, I enjoyed the broadcast quite a bit. You know, Stoney had talked about him and Euclid and and Benetti working together. And I do think that it's interesting what Peacock is going to do, where it's going to be Benetti as the play-by-play guy. And then they're going to have the analysts from the two teams there. It just happened to be the White Sox and the Red Sox. So you get Benetti and Stone and, and their rapport with each other. And then you add in Kevin Euclid. I thought Euclid was great. I really enjoyed him. I thought that he did a great job of explaining what the hitter hitter is thinking and what's going through a hitter's mind in different situations and different counts. I thought that he did a, a wonderful job of understanding what the White Sox were as a team and gave really good analysis. It's it's hard not to be great when Steve Stone is in the booth, but it's also hard to like find your space because... Bonetti and Stone could have done a national broadcast of White Sox, Red Sox. And if you didn't know that they were the White Sox play-by-play team, you wouldn't have known. Like, they're that good. I thought you fit in really well. He found his spots really well. And they had fun. I can't say this enough. And look, I am biased on this. Like, I'm, I'm trying to work through that bias. But... I'm, I am fond of Jason Benetti, both personally and professionally. I also think that he's one of the best play-by-play people in our business. And part of the reason why is because his ability to be master of ceremonies. He's good at figuring out when to interject, but he's also good at sharing. And that's what I think makes for a really good play-by-play person. Can you allow your analysts to do their job and share? And in this particular clip, is the bottom of the seventh of yesterday's game. We talk a lot about youth sports and youth baseball quite a bit on this show because I know that there are a lot of frustrated parents in some of the things that they're seeing and hearing and, and how you can't enjoy the games maybe the way that you used to because of travel baseball or whatever. This was a great conversation between Benetti, Stone, and Euclid about that very thing.
3: I know you're managing it baseball right now yes how's that going for you it's good Uh, yeah the Los Gatos Little League Triple A Red Sox and uh, it's fun I mean it's all about just teaching these kids the game and you know at times it gets a little frustrating because some people aren't teaching the game they'd rather manipulate the game and how to win and I've always said hey you know the our, our job as Little League coaches is to teach the game and to grow the game and and to provide them with good insight and information and give him one more thing and that's joy of playing the game because if they love to play the game they will eventually if they have any talent get good at the game stoney what kind of a head coach slash manager do you think you is? well i think he might be a little intense at times that's just uh, i'm guessing here Definitely a guess right there. Compared to the other coaches, I'm a lot less. I I am way more calm. I only get upset at the the parents, not the kids. (laughs) Bird got a strike there after not getting the 1-0, 2-1. So you take it out on the parents. Well, I see the, the, so it happens in youth sports. The parents kind of ruin it for the kids in a lot of ways. And, And parents need to do a better job of calming themselves down. Stop yelling at the umpires or referees and, and gifted sports. And you really got to focus on how to have the kids not see that kind of energy because then they start feeding on that energy when the parents get out of control too. Well Jason and I have one thing in common. We both were umpires in Little League. Wow. That's not an easy gig. Steve was good at it. I retired very early. However <laughs> I was not Did you throw anybody out. I wanted to throw parents out. There was a bases loaded situation and a play at the plate. And the catcher didn't realize he had his foot on the plate. He went to make the tag and it was a beautiful hook slide around him. He never tagged the guy. I called him out on the force out. The parents charged the field. (laughs) (laughs) And I tried to explain, wait, it's a force out. Well, they didn't want to hear that. So that was one of the final times I out. That was great
0: stuff on NBC yesterday of them talking about it. I love what you said there about we're supposed to be teaching them the game, not manipulating the game to try and win. I think it's valuable for all of us. It's valuable for those of us that have kids or nieces and nephews in youth sports on how to comport ourselves in those situations. I also love hearing that story because – I could completely see that happening where he didn't tag him. It was a force out. He still didn't tag him. That's not how all of this works. And I do think there's something valuable to the idea of having players graduate into umpiring, which made me think back on another conversation that I had. Paul Conrad, you see him on channel nine every morning. He's really, really talented. He's so good. And he, he does the weather over at Channel 9, but he's also helping run a house league called Sheridan McGwain Baseball. And you can look it up, SheridanMcGuaneBaseball.com. And their statement, their thesis statement is, all volunteer-run organization, we are a community baseball organization that seeks to build the future generation of our nation's leaders. Our board of directors seeks to lead from the same principles that we build in our players' servant leadership, community and citizenship. I had Paul on my podcast House of L. You should listen to the whole episode because it's it's really really good and we talk about how he went from being like a comedian and an actor and a, a song and dance man to being the guy that you see every morning on channel 9. but he's really passionate about baseball and trying to do it in a way that makes sense. This might be a different side of Paul Conrad that you've never heard, but I encourage you to listen because I think that his message, like Benetti and, and Stone and Euclid, is a really good one when we're talking about youth baseball. We're calling ourselves a values-based baseball league, softball league,
1: where we're at a point where some people are like anti, they get nervous when you say, hey, we're going to be values-based. Uh, and all we're saying is, we're going to care about things like character. We're going to care about things like citizenship and developing like championship skills and habits that we're not going to, we there's not a huge likelihood we're going to be champions in the state of Illinois, but there is a possibility that we can help kids develop championship habits that they'll be able to use for the rest of their lives, whether it's in sports or not in sports. Um, And so that stuff you know, I I was somewhat reluctant as we were rolling it out. But what I have found is that like this community, and I think parents are starving for that. I think they're tired of seeing the dads yelling at the umps and umpires being disrespected and umpires like getting umpires these days is really hard because there's, it's not all that rewarding. The amount you're getting paid and you're catching a lot of it from the parents. You're like, why would I want to sign up for that? And I've had my boys ump,
3: which (laughs) is that it,
1: it, that's like the best thing you can do as a dad if you're a coach, is have your kids ump because it changes the way that you interact with umpires. But we just, I really feel like um, our community needs that kind of stuff. We need, like, this is a real specific thing for me, but, and there are guys all all over the end of the spectrum on this stuff, but like this scenario where um, if we're telling our coaches that we want you to really focus on character, to me, character is being honest and truthful and fair, that like I'd like to see our coaches go to the 13-year-old umpire before the game and say, hey, listen, I'm pulling for you, and I want you to know that I'm going to help you Uh, If there's a fair ball or foul ball, I'm going to be honest with you, even if it's at at my team's expense, because I really want to model fairness and honesty and truthfulness to not only the kids, but I'm going to make that a higher priority over us, whether we score runs in an inning or not. Right. And that's that's um, there's some coaches and parents that kind of think this is part of the gamesmanship of baseball, that you work an umpire over and over again. And maybe you can do that at college and professional level, but but, you know, at eight, nine year old kids, I don't think that's the best way to go about it. Right. Let's give, let's give the 13 year old freshman or eighth grader a shot, you know, to have them believe that adults
0: are going to be honest with him. Right. Does that make sense? I completely make sense. And I, there's been a lot of talk about these people who are are volunteering and it's usually like a volunteering to either coach or umpire the idea that they would be susceptible to cheating your kid out of something as they're making 10 bucks to umpire a game right right they've got a secret agenda right and it's it's preposterous and i think that there needs to be a place where they understand that it's appreciated they They're there, and that allows for the game to take place. And there's tremendous value in just that. Yeah, and I will confess,
1: um, it's easier said than done, right? Like Because I think every coach that we would have as we sit in a meeting at the beginning of the year, they would all say, 100%, I buy into that, that makes total sense. But when the game is on the line (laughs) and – Like the to me, it's kind of the beauty of sports is that there's so much passion and energy that people are carrying that much, uh, that they're willing to kind of you know bend things a little bit because they've got so much energy and excitement
0: around something. Uh, it's harder to execute than you think it would be. Great stuff from Paul Conrad. Like, I I, I listened to the entire episode, but we do spend a lot of time talking about that because he's super passionate. About it, and, and it comes across. You could hear it in that that couple minute clip, but Sheridan com. He's doing this because he wanted to make sure that there were places for kids that weren't necessarily like travel level. And I'm using air quotes for those of you who can't see me on Twitch. Travel level good to be able to play in the city and to be able to learn some of these tools and learn about the game. In some cases, learn a little bit about life. I love the messaging there, though. I love the messaging from Paul, and I love it from, from the guys who were in the booth yesterday. The idea of having your players umpire games and them then them getting an understanding. They would learn the game better, too, but them understanding how it works, and maybe it allows for parents to have some more empathy when they're seeing their child out there being an umpire and trying to call it fair instead of the way seemingly that people tend to react to some of this stuff. But I enjoyed that. And, and in both of those cases, those are conversations that I think are connected. In Paul's case, we were doing a podcast, so it, it it's there for that. But on a baseball broadcast, there's room for that. And that's what I mean about putting a broadcast together and understanding that on a baseball broadcast that's on television, specifically on television, although I do think this could play on radio too, depending on what type of game was going on, there's room and there's space for that. And there's an audience for it. And more than likely, the audience that is watching that game nationally, considering that it's 8.30 in the morning on the West Coast when that game first pitches, you might have some fathers and sons or, or fathers and daughters or mothers and daughters that are watching that game and there's something to be learned from it. So I really, like, it. it my ears perked up when those guys were talking about it on the broadcast yesterday and the episode with Paul, it's uh, April, I want to say April 10th, if you go back into the archives of House of L. It's, it's worth your time because he's Fascinating. But hearing him speak about youth sports and some of the ways it could be better and not just talking the talk, but walking a walk and building this league that that they've put together over at Sheridan McGwain was really, really dope. It was great to get to know him. And whenever I've gone and done stuff over at Channel Nine, I usually get a couple minutes of Paul's time and like in the hallway and he talks to me about stuff. And I find him to be a really interesting dude. So I'm glad that I can show him in maybe a different light than the way you see him. And that he cares about this type of stuff the same way that you do. But my hope, and a texter brought this up. My hope is that for the parent that is quick to to jump out of their skin at some of these games. My hope is that you hear that from really smart people that also care about you sports. And it causes you to go, okay, yeah, I need to be a little bit calm and understand the entire ecosystem and not just it's an opportunity for my son, my niece, my nephew, my daughter to get to the next level and that people aren't standing in the way of that. More than likely, people would prefer, like, if you've got an extraordinary talent that you see, you want to be part of their origin story. You want to be like, man, I I umpire that young lady. And now look at her. She's playing for Oklahoma and she's crushing at the the college World Series. Just some food for thought. I thought it was great. Back after this on the score
1: Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score. And 670thescore.com and Odyssey Station.
0: All right, I get to brag and be a proud uncle for a little bit. I only went to one basketball game this year. And the one basketball game that I went to, my niece was playing my alma mater. My niece is Asia Davis. She plays center-slash-forward for NIU, and she's a badass. She was named to the All-Mac first team, which is great. She averaged 17 points and 12 rebounds a game, which is great. 12 rebounds put her as a top 10 rebounder in the country. She was top five in double doubles in the country with 24 of them. She's an incredible ball player. Like She's really, really good. And what's dope is that she got the NIU Victors Award for Student Athlete of the Year. So that's like super dope. Seeing. And knowing like she put in a lot of hard work and she was out here giving people buckets out in DeKalb growing up. And then she was giving people buckets down in Florida. And now she's giving people buckets in the Mac. And it's weird to say, but I think she's actually got a chance to like play professionally. And it's, it's fun to see that. But thanks to all the people out at Northern Illinois. Thanks to shout out to my guy, Andy Garcia used to be our sports director here he called all of Asia's games, but seeing her be named like athlete of the year at Northern is wild like it's wild, but she deserves it. Oh, and on top of it, she was also an all academic American too, so she's getting it done in both the classroom and on the court. Everyone, her mom, Noop, like everyone couldn't be happier that Asia's done this. So, congratulations to Asia Davis. For a great year, and there's more to come. I'll be back after this to talk with Parkins and Spiegel. That's right. Mr. Vasectomy is back here on The Score.